Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, which you can catch us at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, travel, entertainment, and pop culture. And you can also catch us at Sci-Fi Radio, who does a uh, simulcast of our uh, segments. You can catch me each week on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KISWFM. We also put the simulcast on the page. And, of course, past game reviews can be found at PinalCentral.com, a keyword skewed. And we have our quarterly magazine. We're actually getting ready to put the next one uh, finishing touches on it. It should be available next week. And we are syndicated through various outlets and organizations. So uh, last week was kind of crazy. We were at WonderCon. And uh, on our way back, actually, we did a quick panel, but we've got Justin and Michael back this week, and we've got a little uh, shorter show just because post-WonderCon it's been a little quiet, but there has been some really big news this week, and uh, we're going to be getting to that as well as a couple more recaps from WonderCon. But first off, wanted to talk about an interesting game that is out. It's called Deceive Inc., and in this one, players get to play as a spy, and so... What you do is you go into a waiting room and then you go into a location. And through use of a holographic uh, disguise, you can put up a persona as a guest, a wait staff, security, so on and so forth. And you can change it as it goes on. Now, the trick with this is you don't know who are other players who are NPCs. And you have to go around, gather tickets, resources, and make your way through an elaborate uh, headquarters, base, shopping mall, aquarium, whatever it is, to unlock various security vaults. And once you do that, players can go in and you try to obtain a specific item and get out. Now, of course, there's all kinds of tricks because uh, you can end up fighting off other players. You could work as a co-op team or, uh, you know, dealing with local security. One of the biggest tricks to it is that... Um, you look like a normal whatever until you fire your weapon, at which point your um, disguise drops. So you can't tell a friend from pro. You have no idea if another player is just going to ignore you or attack you, that sort of thing. So it definitely keeps you on your toes. You play as one of several different characters. Each one has customizable looks and abilities that can come up. So if you want something a little different, you definitely want to check that out. Okay, Michael, so uh, you were also at WonderCon last weekend. You had an interesting uh, media meeting amongst your uh, activities, and you weren't able to talk about a lot of it, but now you are. So what do you have for us? Yeah, so at WonderCon I met with the uh, creative minds behind the new um, upcoming HBO um, adult animated series, Fired on Mars. Uh, it's, meant to it's supposed to premiere in April. Um, I don't know the specific date. Um, on HBO Max exclusively. Um, it's um, developed by Nate Sherman and Nick Bouquet um, and featuring the voice acting of Sean Wing and Pete Davidson has also been uh, announced as part of the cast as well. Um, this is all based on a, I think, four-minute short film that won some awards and premiered at the Ottawa International Animation Festival back in um, 2016. Um, the initial concept behind it was um, a guy worked on Mars and got fired <laughs> and it was about him, you know, being lonely and, and, uh, you know, 
you know, dealing with that situation. Again, it was a very, it was only a couple minutes long, um, so they didn't delve into a lot. Um, this one is going to be a, um, a ongoing um, animated um, film or animated um, series. Um, it's all hand-drawn animations, so they don't use any computer CGI or anything like that. So it has a very unique um, visual aspect to it. It kind of features around what is life on Mars from a, a business perspective goes. They, they, I believe they said they work in IT, um, and it's just kind of based on, you know, very similar to what it would be like on, on Earth-based, but some of the, the challenges, you know, commuting back and forth to Mars and that sort of thing. Um, sounds like it's going to be very interesting. Uh, they did premiere the first episode at WonderCon. Unfortunately, I had other uh, commitments, so I wasn't able to see the premiere. Um, but it was um, obviously a very uh, interesting concept. It's interesting to see how you take something that's based on literally four or five minutes and stretch that out over um, a multi-episode type of, uh, of show. Um, obviously, getting a chance to talk to them. Some of the questions that um, I raised when I was there was, you know, one of the things that is challenging about voice acting is a lot of times the voice actors never physically meet each other. They're never in the same room doing their own voice acting. Usually they're at a home studio or maybe a couple of them are together in the studio, um, which works great for things like during the pandemic because it meant that a lot of these shows can move forward without any interaction between the actors. And, you know, Sean had kind of mentioned that, you know, there are a lot of, special guest stars that will be appearing on the show. And he never got to meet any of them. Unfortunately, he was, he had basically turned his um, closet into a home studio recording um, for the animation film. And he just never really got a chance to meet some of these folks. So it's really interesting to see how these things come together, uh, you know, how they, how the teams work together, how they communicate, how they um, are able to put these shows together without being in the same physical space. You know, we see this a lot with video games as well. So just really interesting. Sounds like it's going to be a, a very unique concept. Again, it's, it's tailored more for the adult crowd. We've seen a lot of uh, HBO Max has been kind of doubling down on their adult animation series, um, notoriously Velma being one of them. Uh, but it looks like uh, Fire, to, Fire on Mars is going to be a really unique and interesting uh, show to take in, and again, it'll be uh, premiering very soon, so I definitely look forward to it on HBO Max. Yeah, it definitely sounds like something to keep an eye on, because there were a lot of things that initially weren't really on our radar, and then after spending time with them at WonderCon, then it became, hey, we definitely have to keep an eye out on it, which is the whole nature of these shows, is to be exposed to, uh, to events like this, is to be exposed to things. We all know that you know, going in like at Comic-Con, oh, we got Marvel and we've got this and we've got that. But that's the beauty of it is that in the course of that, you may come across either through meeting request interviews or just simply having some time to sit down or, uh, you know, finding unexpected space in a hall that you didn't expect to have seats. You get exposed to all kinds of things and it really uh, is fantastic. So looking forward to seeing uh, more about this and also with San Diego Comic-Con coming up, uh, in a few months, we're looking forward to seeing what they have there. Yeah, and one of the really interesting things about that, or unfortunate things about that, is there were four of us at the table um, interviewing um, Sean and Nate and, and um, Nick, and they unfortunately went into a lot of 
stuff the embargo uh, our embargo is specific to um, get upcoming guest stars, things that could be potentially spoilers for the events. And the HBO Max rep kept right there saying, nope, these are embargoes, so you can't share this. So uh, it didn't make a lot of sense to uh, post a video with about half of it leaked out or redacted is, the, is a pretty common phrase these days. <laughs> so unfortunately, we don't get as much as a live um, presentation, but maybe once the show airs, we can kind of get some behind-the-scenes footage on that as well. And I think that's probably exactly what we will do. We'll wait till it airs, and there's no one saying, "Oh, you a spoiler." We'll stick it up with potential spoiler. For the, you know, for those who haven't seen it, solve the problem, and we will just roll uh, from there. Uh, before we get on to our next thing, I did want to mention uh, some really interesting news from Knott's Berry Farm. Now, as you have likely remembered, I had uh, been telling both of you about the weather because. Uh, last weekend, I was in uh, Southern Cal for, obviously, WonderCon, and the, was it, Tuesday to Thursday the week before, we were over there to cover, do the hard hat tour of the new attraction coming to SeaWorld, as well as um, just spent a couple days uh, seeing the kids and that sort of thing. And, of course, the heavy rains had shut down Knott's Berry Farm the second day. We were able to get in for a bit, but it was still rainy, a lot of stuff in there. Wasn't quite opening, so on and so forth. Well, this is all happening during the Boysenberry Festival. When I went by last Friday, it was uh, doing very well. I was just a little worn down from a full day at uh, WonderCon and doing all the interviews. So uh, Knott's Berry Farm has announced that they are actually going to extend the Berry Festival. It usually ends at the end of um, May. Uh, did I say May? March, excuse me. Uh, they're going to go three additional weekends. So the Boysenberry-inspired foods and wine are now going to go uh, run through April 16th. So, uh, And then, of course, uh, the event is going to go daily through April 16th. And then Friday through Sunday, April 21 through 23rd, April 28th through April 30th, and May 5th through 7th. So now, if you have not had a chance to go over and check it out, I do recommend it. They've got a lot of great live shows. The food was phenomenal. It was just, as I said, the day I was there, they would have the pictures and the signs up, and I couldn't get to all of it. But last Friday, it was definitely out in force, and it was pretty impressive. So you do want to have a look at that if that is uh, any kind of trip to Southern California is in your plans. So speaking of Southern California, we had kind of a busy week in the uh, gaming industry. In that E3, uh, which we had speculated on about a week ago, Justin and I, and then I talked about in a, a, a depth in the radio show, uh, might not happen because Ubisoft pulled out, not being able to get any of the big publishers. And sure enough, a couple days after that, the news did indeed come down that E3 2023 has been canceled. And this has set a bit of a shock through the industry not so much that it happened because people were starting to speculate it would happen but for some of the reasons behind it which we are told uh are a combination of um some prior uh concerns some economic factors uh such as even though the rates were cheaper than ever people felt that perhaps this was not the time to be renting out boot space and going in uh, that there was also concerns about due to the changing nature of 
development that the pressure to have playable code, uh, you know, much less props and stuff like that on hand by June was difficult. Apparently, uh, Assassin's Creed Mirage and Skull and Bones are both delayed. Ubisoft, as an example, was like, we just don't have uh, playable builds ready to go uh, by June. It's easier for us to do the live stream, which has now been folded into Summer Game Fest. So uh, let's start with Justin. What do you have? What's, what's your take on this and what do you think it means going forward? Because in their release, both e, uh, the ESA E3 uh, said they are going to continue to work with ReadPop about producing uh, E3-related events in the future. Yeah, so kind of like, you know, our, our last show was a, basically a precursor to, to this news. Just, you know, we talked basically right before the announcement that uh, E3 was, uh, was not actually going to happen. Um, so... Yeah, you know, we, we kind of knew it was right around the corner. Um, and c- kind of just to echo what I was saying last week, uh, this is very unfortunate for, uh, obviously, the ESA. Um, they obviously put a, a ton of effort into making this happen. They got a bunch of people on board, but the moment, the momentum just wasn't there. And I really think, you know, looking back now in retrospect, uh it really was that hiatus of not having events for uh, E3 events for um, really like what was it two years in a row? Three. Um, three well, years if in you a row. D- if you don't count the online one, yeah, and see the online one, it just it's what just wasn't the same. The thing is, is that a lot like we said last week, a lot of these companies realized they just didn't need E3, um, you know, as part of their their portfolio plan for their marketing. So. Um, you know, once you kind of get used to the new, the new norm without it, then, um, you know, I, I think the case was there for it, you know, to hold an event. And there's always been that, that opportunity there of like, Hey, you know, uh, if we could have been the one, you know, if we, if, if our game could be the one that dominate E3 and, and dominate the headlines, then, uh, it's probably worth it. But I guess the problem though is, uh, they just couldn't get anybody on board to, to commit to it. Uh, at first, Ubisoft did, but I, I don't think you can do an entire uh, E3 kind of event with basically Ubisoft and then some smaller players. Uh, they really needed to get um, you know, some of the really, really big companies other than Ubisoft. So, you know, Ubisoft, you know, that'd be, that'd be a big one, but they really probably need to get EA. They probably need to get Bethesda. They probably need to get you know one of the big console makers, so Sony or Microsoft. Uh, Nintendo had already bowed out of E3 a long time ago, so I don't think that was going to happen. But um, because they weren't able to secure one of those, I think it really was a difficult uphill battle for them to, to make this happen. Uh, and like I was saying, I mean, a lot of these companies just kind of got used to an ecosystem without E3, so they didn't really have any op- feel any obligation to to the ESA to, to make it happen. So the ESA still exists. It's uh, obviously it's not going away. Um, it just now their focus is entirely different. You know, it, it seems like their focus is now on advocacy and, um, you know, kind of just more in- industry related, um, probably smaller events. But I think the, the era of, of, uh, a, a giant event in, in, in person event in June is, is unfortunately over. But one point I did make last week, I still I still think stands, which is 
large events like E3, there's still a place for them because people still get excited for the the VGAs and people get excited for Gamescom. Um, those those two events, you know, they kind of <clears throat> fill that void that uh, that people kind of look for 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 E3, which is you know a big event where a bunch of stuff gets gets revealed. I mean, uh, let's be honest, no one, not not I don't I don't want to say no one. But not very many people probably watch the VGAs to know which which games win which categories. You even watch the the, the VGAs, and a lot of the time when they're revealing the, the the winners of different categories, they just speed through it as quickly as possible, and then uh, to get to the next trailer. And I I don't mean to sound disparaging, but I mean the the real event of the VGAs is the big trailers and big reveals, um, which is very E three like. I mean that's why people tuned into E3. They've tuned in for the big trailers, the big reveals, um, the big shows from different companies. Um, and while the format's a little bit different, um, in general, the, the the same idea is there. It's a big in-person event. It's exciting. Everyone's there. They get to see stuff for the first time. Um, so there's still a place for it. It's just the, the industry has changed a little too much uh, for E3 to come back. And Michael, your take, please. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, I think there's a couple of reasons why I think a lot of the big publishers, particularly Microsoft and Sony, I mean, Nintendo's been out for a while. Sony was pretty much said they were done with it in like 2018 when they did that weird show where they had people moving from one place to another. Um, so it really kind of left Microsoft and Bethesda to kind of tentpole that event. Um, obviously with Bethesda kind of being absorbed by Microsoft and now potentially Activision Blizzard as well. You know, there's, there's, you know, other than it being a Microsoft specific show, it really makes it difficult for any of the big tentpole um, publishers to put up, to put on the show. And, and let's not forget the cost of the venue is a very small piece of the cost of putting on the show. I mean, you got to talk about you're flying dozens, if not hundreds of employees to the, to the show to handle things like technical aspects of it, setting up props, setting up um, play, you know, stations to put on demos, building out these huge elaborate sets, um, and you have to pay for those people to be there. You have to pay for the equipment to be shipped there. You have to pay for hotel, airfare. You know, there's a there's you know hundreds of thousands, if not more, costs to put on a show for a couple of days. And right now, the industry um, in general, the economy in general just can't support something of that magnitude. Um, let's not forget that a lot of the game companies are struggling to even put out, you know, a couple of games right now. They're still being hit by some of the um, effects of the global pandemic and the supply chain type stuff. I, you know, we're still coming out of that, although I think most of that's probably been ironed out by now from a development standpoint. But at the same time, there, you know, there's also a lot more availability for people to critique what hands-on they see and I don't know that some of these publishers are confident enough in their game demos at the time to risk potentially bad backlash that could potentially impact um, sales. I think right now um, you know it's kind of a disservice I think to, to people who are going to buy the games because um, it does allow them to more cater a specific narrative on the game, show what works, show what they want to show off, and it takes away from the public and or the media to be able to put to do some hands-on and give some 
you know, realistic first impressions of playing the game overall. So I do think that that impacts the ability for um, game players and, and those who are going to purchase the games. Some of that early insight into the game, again, they're going to rely on trailers, they're going to rely on um, stars playing the games, they're going to have a very scripted um, areas of the game where, that they want to show off. You know, but again, that's that's really more how does that impact consumers and less about how does that impact the people who are um, attending the show. And, and, I, and, you know, Gamescom has kind of taken over the, the mantle as the big um, game event. We're starting to see a lot more um, premieres and, and that sort of thing at Gamescom. Unfortunately, it's, it's, it being overseas means that a lot of uh, the U.S. folks don't get that opportunity to um, partake. But again, that would have been no different for E3 being held in the U.S. and, and our you know friends in Europe and, and Asia not being able to easily attend either. So I think that conversation goes both ways. You know, for Reed Pop, who is a, you know, very, they're very good, used to put on these huge, elaborate shows, you know, things like an Excel Celebration, various Comic-Cons, um, that sort of thing. Um, they were certainly well-suited for putting on a big venue. Um, the question is, if, you know, Reed Pop isn't able to pull this off, would anybody be able to pull this off? And it, I'm not saying that there will never be another E3, but I would think that we're going to see, you know, several years where there won't be an E3. I think everybody needs to kind of sort out where the industry's headed, see how these big um, virtual reviews go and virtual presentations go. And maybe when the economy settles down, when, you know, game developers are back on track releasing games and we're starting to see more of a, a drive with uh, new game releases, Maybe at that point there will be some incentive to put these things back on, but I wouldn't expect that for the next couple of years at least. I think one of the big questions has to do with uh, trust. Um, you know, it, it, it's an interesting thing when you look at it because you had people, and of course everybody has come out of the woodwork this week, companies big and small, to go over this news. I mean, we've had people cite things like, the inclusion of the general public. Apparently, some say um, the publishers didn't like this. We've had people say, well, don't forget the data leak, don't forget the data link, and it's like, okay, whatever. We've had people say that it needs to be more of a festival atmosphere, and others say, no, it needs to go back to being a pure industry event. And I think we can agree that maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle and, you know, I, I've had some people snarkily say, well, you know, this is what happens when you are essentially the big boy and the only place in town, there's nowhere to go but down. Um, and that there were some people who, um, you know, once they had other options. And I thought about this and I said, to, you know, we've talked about this ad nauseum. You got to look at the last 10 to 15 years. We would go to E3. That was where we got the big reveals. That was where we got the hands-on, or at the very least, we got to go into the little inner theaters at the booth, see the stuff, get a look at it, get the photos with the props, and out you go. And then I would go to PAX West up in Seattle two months later. Now, PAX West didn't have Activision, did not have EA, but 
one of the great things about PAX West was that this was when I got my up-close time with Sony. It was very difficult to get it at E3. Yes, you could go through the booth, but, you know, they had so many meetings lined up. You'd go through the booth, take a look at the displays they had set up, get your photos, so on and so forth. During the early press time at PAX, that was when you went to get your hands on. You could ask a few questions. They always had something really good to show off there. Uh, multiple somethings. I mean, getting to play the PSVR 1 there for the first time. Uh, getting to play Predator Hunting Grounds at, at the show. Same thing with Microsoft. Same thing with Nintendo. Now, you had to play the game going, okay, we'll have Warner Brothers, we'll have Bethesda. They might not have nearly the presence that they did at E3, but Ubisoft will be there. This will be a more up-close and personal time. And so looking at PAX East, looking at PAX West, you guys absolutely hit it on the head. This has not... I don't think this is a, oh, we don't want to be a part of E3. It is what you said from the beginning. The dynamics of the gaming publicity side of things and production have changed. The big boys are not going to E3. Excuse me. They're not going to PAX West, and they're not going to PAX East. That's a fact. I mean, we just had a crew come back from PAX West. Nintendo had a small presence there, but the Microsoft wasn't there. Sony wasn't there. EA wasn't there, obviously Bethesda, Warner Brothers, you could go all the way down the line. And you look at the whole picture. People say, well, they're going to do their own thing. Sony hasn't done one of their live showcases since the pandemic started. They've decided we're just going to do our state of plays. Those have been very successful for us. You mentioned Gamescom. It's very big, but you know, in the past, you had a large contingent of press from Europe, the Far East, various places come over to E3 because, again, same thing. They get to go over there, get to see the announcements, get to see it first, and then when it comes to their country or to Europe, uh, they get to see a up-close thing because, you know, Gamescom, for all it is, hasn't always been where all the reveals have been. It's been deeper looks and stuff the way PAX used to be. So it does appear that it's not just an E3-related thing. It's an industry-related thing. Companies just are saying, you know what? We don't want to be forget the cost and everything like this. We don't want to be pressured to have to have something done. And like people were saying, I, I've talked to a few people who've said, the pressure to have playable builds ready for June and to know that it's going to be scrutinized, and oh yeah, you're fighting with everybody else for competition and for attention all at the same time, was intense. He said, you know, they could not even imagine the hours that went into planning for this. And he said, now that's all gone. Now it's, do we have something to show? Yes. No? Okay, then we'll just wait another month to do it. And that's what the big thing is. And, and you mentioned the cost. There was some guy who, not a game developer, but per se, works in the industry. He was posting online the other day about how upset he is over the cancellation of E3 and that he's, I'm paraphrasing, essentially not going to forget this. His thing is he he hosts a party, and, you know, we have debated the merits of these parties and stuff like that, but he said he's out a $25,000 non-refundable party uh, deposit because he booked a venue and he cannot, you know, get it back. And some are saying, 
well, just go ahead and hold it anyway. Summer Game Fest is the week before. Just go ahead and make this part of the wrap-up. So lots and lots of interesting stuff. A uh, couple of things really quick before we wrap it up. Uh, Starfleet Academy has a, an announced series coming from Paramount+. Plus. Um, I'm curious about this. I know we've been hearing about this ever since uh, right around the Star Trek VI time. Uh, I just hope it doesn't turn into the CW Network, uh, you know, 20-something with all their relationship dramas and stuff. Uh, what do you guys think? Any comments on that? Yeah, I'm I'm going to be I'm cautiously optimistic about what they're putting out right now. Justin, I know you're not as big of a Star Trek person, but do you have thoughts on it? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic as well. Um you know, I've heard pretty good things about the newest season of Picard. I have not watched it, but uh, I've heard that it's uh, going in the right direction. Um, so, cautiously optimistic. Very good. And, of course, I, I think that's one we might be seeing at San Diego Comic-Con. And as we're uh, pivoting on that note, I wanted to mention that we've, uh, after a little bit of quiet time, we've had a bit of a rush on um, toys and collectibles. And Toink has talked to us about their upcoming Killer Clowns from Outer Space line. We've seen uh, that they have an Indiana Jones uh, fertility idol from the first opening of the first film available. And, of course, we all know that uh, in later this month, I believe April 10th is the reveal date, and then pre-orders begin on the 25th, we're going to be seeing a lot of Indiana Jones material. And, of course, we also have Star Wars Celebration coming up, uh, so we'll be seeing a lot of stuff on that. And, of course, not too long after that, we get the release of Jedi Survivor. And, Justin, I know you are not as big on the collectible lines, but is there anything uh, you're thinking of? Specifically, uh, we have Alien Day coming up as well on 426. And, of course, we've been a bit disappointed the last few years, but now people are saying with the new film in production, with the TV series in pre-production, uh, they expect to see, some, uh, well, and the video games, let's not forget those, they're expecting to see some action. So any kind of collectibles or alien stuff or anything from any of the franchises you're kind of looking forward to or expecting to see? Yeah, so uh, I'm not, I don't do a lot of collecting myself, but uh, I do like to see some of the, the releases that come out. Um, and in particular with Alien and Predator, uh, there's a lot of, like, uh, models and figurines and stuff that uh, that are, are really high quality and really cool. Um, so, and I know that Alien Day sometimes um, they'll announce new um, product lines in that regard. So that that'll be cool to see. Um, Alien Day is kind of weird because um, it's it's obviously not nearly as large as Star Wars Celebration. Uh, Star Wars Celebration. Um, you know, you're going to see big reveals out of Star Wars Celebration. Alien Day, you typically don't see much new uh, coming out of the um, out of the uh, the big titles, but that might be different this year because, uh, like you said, you know, there's a lot of um, revealed um, titles that are already in production. So the movie, TV series, the games. So we, you know, we have some action in the Alien franchise. So it would be a good opportunity to at least maybe show uh, maybe a gameplay demo of uh, Dark Descent or maybe some images from the TV series, um, uh, maybe some, some information from the uh, 
from the movie that's being made. Uh, so I'm not expecting a ton, but you never know. We could get we we could be surprised. Okay, and Michael, your take, please. Yeah, I will say from the the joint perspective, the Killer Clowns they really actually um, premiered at WonderCon. Uh, the plushies that were available, so it came with uh, I think Shorty, Jumbo, and Rudy as the main um, clowns. Then you had the a hand puppet of the baby clown. And then, of course, the um, highly scary, in my opinion, cotton candy cocoons um, that actually had a little uh, hook that you could hang them from uh, wherever you want to hang them from. But really high quality. Um, my wife was particularly excited because Killer Clowns is one of her favorite franchises, of course. Um, and right now, it looks like on their website, they have the set of five available for uh, $149.99 with free shipping. Um, but I will say, getting some hands-on impressions with them at WonderCon, um, you certainly won't be disappointed with the quality if you're a Killer Clowns fan. Um, so definitely, you know, I, I know you posted it on um, our website. Um, it's also on the Twink.com website. Um, and again, if you're a fan of the Killer Clowns franchise, these are all um, definitely worth a, a look for sure. All right. And that is going to do it for us this week, folks. I hope your week ahead is better. We're looking forward to uh, hopefully a better week with the industry and uh, some good news going forward. And until then, be safe, everyone, and take care.